0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. Today, like Nate said, we are starting a brand new series. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of Titus over the never, next several weeks. Um, as we go through these uh, next few weeks and we dig through it, uh, there's going to be a lot of things that come out of, out of this text. Um, and I think it's important for us to know like, what the heart of Titus is really about. Um, that's kind of what today is going to be focused on, just kind of getting the, the center. What is Titus about? What's the point? And where is this going the next several weeks? Um, important thing to know is that Titus is a letter that is written to the church. It's for the church's purpose, but it's written to address disorder in the church, So I'm going to hit more on that in in just a minute, but the author of this letter is Paul the Apostle, and Paul, when he wrote this, he wrote it because he wants Titus, that's the guy who received this letter, that's why it's called the book of Titus, Titus, when he received this, he wants him to set straight what is crooked in the church. That's the title of today's message, Set Straight What is Crooked. And the reason why this letter exists is because Paul understands and knows that the health of the church is a really big deal. If the church is unhealthy, if the church is crooked, if the church has lost its way, then the church is not going to be effective. The church is not going to really be able to meet its mission. It's not going to be changing people's lives. It's not going to be building up. It's just going to be problematic and cause issues. And Paul understands that, and that's why he writes a lot of these things. And before we get into, like, really the heart of what Titus is aiming at and the problems that were going on in the church, I want to share with you guys an illustration that I think will help make a lot of sense out of what was going on and, and really what had happened in the church And why uh, Paul needs to write this letter. So, a few weeks ago, or months ago now, I guess, uh, we had our Awakened Students event over the summer, and we played a game at the very end of this event. And it was a really, really fun game, but it was a crazy game. So, uh, what we had is at the front of the stage here, literally right there, we had a giant board, huge, and it had a bunch of holes drilled in it all over the place. And then around each hole was a little color that was like painted on over that, that hole. And what we did is we had all of the students, there's a ton of teams broken up over the course of this event, and we gave them a color that they were assigned. And then we gave them these pegs that needed to be put in the color hole that was on the board that corresponded with their team. So if you're a green team, you take your green peg, green hole yellow team, yellow peg, yellow hole. Pretty straightforward, right? Not really, because we blindfolded them, and what we did is we had a line at the very back of the room that we w- we put one person there to begin with from each team, and everybody had to start out in the lobby, and they would come in with their peg, and the person behind the line would direct them, yelling to them, hey, walk forward straight, go to the right, put your hand on the board, go find this spot. They would say, no, that's not the right hole. Move over left, down one, and then yes, you're on it, and then slide the peg in. And then once they do that, they walk back to the line, and they're good to go. And in the very beginning, it's very simple, because there's just really one voice from your team speaking to you, telling you, guiding you, hey, this is what it looks like. You're going to walk straight in. Just keep on a perfectly straight line, okay? You know, kneel down. Go ahead. It's at the bottom of the board. Feel around. And it was very easy. But it quickly got very chaotic because every time somebody got their peg in and they walked back, now they stand behind the line with the rest of their team who's there and everybody is shouting directions. And there's like over 50 people in this room at the end. So when it started out, it was very easy, very straightforward. They're getting direction from their trusted person. They walk it out. But by the end, it's super chaotic and confusing. It's crazy loud. There's tons of voices in the room. There's literally kids crawling on the floor, walking into this wall over here, totally far away. There's kids getting their hands stepped on because they're blindfolded, don't know what's going on. There's people who are sticking the peg in the wrong hole and getting in trouble for it. There's people who are walking totally everywhere, just all over the place. It was just ridiculousness. Because there was too many voices, And because there was not enough uh, straight, clear direction, it totally got everybody off the path. And that is a perfect picture of what had happened in the church in Crete, where Titus is going to be going to minister. They had all of these voices, all of these people, after Paul had come there originally and everything was pretty calm... And he had set them in order. He said, hey, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is what the church should be. And they started walking it out, and they had their problems, but overall, it was going pretty well. And then over time, Paul eventually departs, and then you have all these false teachers begin to come into the mix. And their voices begin to put things into the, into the air that totally send people off the track. And suddenly, when things had been healthy and had been strong, now people are getting hurt, people are falling down, they're going the wrong direction, they're not understanding the actual goals that they're supposed to be pursuing. It's it's a mess. So Paul sees this and says, that is not what the church is supposed to look like, and this needs to get solved. We need to get things back in order. We need to set things straight. So that's why this letter is written. Um... The church, as it began to get off track, it was no longer being holy or set apart. It was no longer looking different than the world. And that was a major issue for Paul as well. So Paul, in his encouraging, he wants the church to get back on track. That's his whole goal, the church to get back on track. So it's that... Let's go ahead and read, read. we're just going to read Titus 1, verses 1 through 4, and we'll get, get into it from there. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, he manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Okay. So Paul opens this letter with a fairly long greeting, Um, and he's highlighting in this opening piece his heart for what it is that really he's, he's caring about and what it is that he wants Titus to care about. Um, I think it's very interesting of all of the letters, and this is part of the reason why we know that he says some important things here, is because of all the letters Paul wrote, this is actually the second longest greeting that Paul writes. The only one longer is in Romans. And if you know anything about the greeting or the beginning of a letter... Um, it was an important part. It wasn't just like a, hey, how are you doing? Hope you're doing well, and then let's get into things. It was setting the tone for what the rest of the letter was really gonna be talking about. So in this, Paul gets into a lot of stuff. Honestly, as I read through it personally, it took me several read-throughs to really see what is going on here because it's hard to follow all of his thoughts. It feels like it goes on very long. And I encourage you guys um, as we go out of here, to go back and read through these whole, whole thing several times and really try to get the, the heart and the tone of it. But today, what I want us to do is really just focus on three things that are noted here, and they're found in verse 1. So right away, right off the bat in the beginning, we're going to focus on these three aspects, three things that Paul says. And the reason why I want to focus on these specific three things is because they really drive home the purpose of all the rest of the stuff that Titus is going to be talking about in a very easy-to-understand way. And it'll be really good for us to have that as we move forward um, as a background in the coming weeks. So first thing I want to focus on, and this is we're going to start with our first point, and I'll kind of break it down. Point one is going to be the church is a chosen people through a covenant relationship. Okay. The church is a chosen people through a covenant relationship. So this point um, is a little bit abstract to some of us. It may seem a little bit weird and and not make super clear sense, but it's actually very important. And where I'm pulling this from is the beginning of verse 1. I just marked it verse 1A. Um, It's where it says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Okay? For the sake of the faith of God's elect. So those words, elect specifically, is a word that makes a lot of people uncomfortable and there's a lot of uh, stuff that comes with those terminology, but there's something important that Paul's emphasizing here that we need to understand, and it's not really scary at all, okay? So I want to get into that. This word elect does mean, in Greek, it's eklektos, that's what the word is, um, but it means chosen or selected, but this language, Paul using that language is very purposeful. He's not just using it flippantly, okay? He's using it because it's alluding back to something from the past. And the thing that he's alluding to from the past is God's chosen or elect people. So that would be Israel, So he's trying to use language now that's making people's minds shift back to, where was this language used before? And it would have been used, talking about the people of Israel in the past. So as we move forward, it's important for us to understand, okay, how does that tie to us as the church then? And that's what I want to kind of make sense of. So what I want you guys to do, I want you guys to think about what set Israel apart from the rest of the world. They're God's chosen people. They're God's elect people. They're different than all the other nations of the world. What was it specifically that set them apart from the rest of the world? What made them different? So I'll break it down. Hopefully you can think through some things as well. But uh, it all centers or begins around their covenant relationship with God. Okay? Okay. So this covenant is mapped out in greater detail um, over the course of the Old Testament. It starts in Genesis 15. If you want to go there, you can start to look at it. It continues in Exodus 19 and then subsequent chapters, and then it's mapped out even further in Deuteronomy 10. We're not going to read all of those things, but that's all, each of those areas focuses on the covenant. But that covenant, that relationship, or covenant means promise, That covenant is really the the core and the heart of what makes the people of Israel chosen or elect, makes them unique and special. And it's through that covenant that God has that God begins to work with the people of Israel. And what he gives them is something very unique that the rest of the world does not have. And those things really boil down to two specific factors, okay? Okay. I want you guys to note this down. They're not going to pop up on the screen, so you've got to listen close and take notes for these ones, okay? The two things that really set them apart and make them different as a chosen people are their knowledge of the one true God and his nature. Knowledge of the one true God and his nature. Okay, that's one of the things that sets Israel apart from the rest of the nations, that's part of what makes them chosen. All the other nations are worshiping all these other gods. They do not know the true God. All of the, the gods they know have very flippant, harsh, angry natures. But the one true God's nature is loving and kind and gen- generous and merciful and caring. And they're able to see this firsthand, the nation of Israel is. The second thing that sets them apart is, and this is the second thing I want you guys to think about and note down, is a way of living differently from the rest of the world. It's another thing that makes Israel different as the chosen people of God. They have a way of living differently from the rest of the world. Okay? This made Israel stick out to the world around them because the cultures and the other nations. They, aren't, they don't have the same standards of righteousness and what it means to live a life on earth. The people of Israel looked very different. And because of that, they were honestly persecuted at times. People looked down on them at times. People made up conspiracies about them at times. But it was that difference, that sticking out as, as a different people because of the way they lived, That was what God wanted for them because he wanted the people of Israel to be a sign to all the people around them of who God is and how God works. So the people of Israel were supposed to be this righteous beacon for all the people around them to witness. Now here's the problem. Israel did not do that all the time. Sometimes they did, but a lot of the time they did not. Very often they began to follow other gods. And frequently, this chosen people of God began to listen to false teachers. They started to have these other voices speaking in, telling them what they should be doing. And then what happened? They fell into chaos, confusion, and suffering. That is very important for us to understand because in Titus, going back to the actual thing we're studying here, Titus using this language about how the people of God, as we, I said before, it said, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. By using that language, he's trying to get them to see there is deeper things going on here for you as the church. For anybody who's a follower of Jesus, there is things that you should be doing, a way that you should be living, knowledge that you ought to be growing in. This stuff is very important. So, if you're not doing that, you're going to become something that you are not meant to be. You're just going to look like the rest of the world. You're going to behave like the rest of the world. And it's going to be serious. This is why Paul is writing this letter. He wants people to see this imagery that the church is selected out, they're chosen, they're special, it's a unique people. The church is a chosen people through a covenant relationship, and that relationship is through Jesus Christ. The covenant comes through Jesus' blood. Because of Jesus' blood, his sacrifice, as we enter into covenant with him, which is that we will believe in him as our Savior, and like Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, that we're going to walk in obedience if we follow in those steps, Jesus says, I will save you. You cannot save yourself, but if you come to me, if you walk in a relationship with me, I will save you. So we as the church are a chosen people, much like the people of Israel. This is almost a continuation and in, in a different aspect of that same style relationship that God had with Israel, but now with all people, Okay. But a church that follows false teachings, just like Israel, will fall into chaos, destruction, and problems. So it's important that the church not do that, and that the church live differently, that the church stick out and be different from the people of the world. I think a, a really cool verse or a couple of verses I want to read for you guys is First Peter chapter two, verses nine through ten. And this. Uh, point really is driven home well about the church being this chosen people. Let me read this for you guys. It says, "'But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people.'" Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You can just hear the echoes so clearly tying back to the ancient people of Israel and to how they were a chosen people. You can see that imagery being used to really drive home this heart, that being the church is a big deal. It should carry weight. Being a chosen people does come with weight, but it also comes with expectation The chosen people of Israel were expected to be diligently in pursuit of God. The chosen people of God through the church are expected to be diligently in pursuit of Jesus. It's the same exact thing. This weight and this expectation very naturally flows into the next point that Paul makes. I wanted to, to know this. This is going to come right after what he said. I've marked down just verse 1b, so right after what, what we had just read. He said, for the sake of God's elect, and this is the important part, and their knowledge of the truth. Their knowledge of the truth, okay? That's the part I want to focus on right there for this, this piece, the knowledge of the truth piece. This is where our second point comes from. The church needs to grow in its knowledge of the truth. Seems so simplistic and so straightforward, but it's very important because it's so easy to not do, and it's so easy to fall into not taking this seriously. So Paul, right after saying what he said about for the sake of God's elect, he's trying to drive home like, hey, you're a chosen people. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to look a certain way. And then he goes on, and their knowledge of the truth, because he understands that For the church to be chosen and to be unique on the earth, they need to grow in their knowledge. Truth is important for them to understand. There's an expectation on the church to grow. It's not just something that he hopes might happen that maybe you should stumble on. It's expected that it should happen, okay? When he mentions this word truth, really he means a couple of things. Proper understanding of that word truth would be this. He's talking about the gospel. So understanding who Jesus is, what it means to be saved. That's part of what it means to understand the truth. But then secondly, it looks like understanding Jesus's commands for how we're supposed to live. So it's both some doctrinal stuff about who Jesus is, how salvation works, and then also how we live life. That's, That's what he's emphasizing there. Now, this point, when what I really want to emphasize here, the fact that the church needs to be growing in knowledge of the truth, is that every follower of Christ needs to study the Word of God personally. Personally is the key word there, okay? Every follower of Jesus. There's no exceptions. And there's reason for this. It's because when we know how to study the Word, so maybe that studying the Word is going to require, we need to... Find someone who we know does know how to study and have them teach us and show us. But knowing how to study is a big deal because it allows us to build proper understanding for ourselves. It allows us to build a strong, firm faith, not something that's wishy-washy, that's easily influenced by something that may sound good but isn't actually rooted in Scripture, we, if we know how to study, then we can be building this firm, strong foundation of the Word and these doctrinal things on our own. And this is an important thing. Um, it's also important for us to grow in the knowledge of the truth because we have to be careful about who we are listening to. Now, there's a lot of people in the world, and I hear these voices all the time, especially in the social media age that we live. There is a lot of people out there who are claiming to have knowledge and claiming to be teachers who post quick quips on the internet. There's people who are teaching full on messages. There's people who are claiming to be leaders in churches who are teaching things that are not at all in accordance with scripture. And if you don't know how to study the word of God, if you're not walking and trying to understand it on your own, you're going to be misled. There's a lot of false teachers out there who are going to send people in the wrong direction. It's important for us to know that what these people are saying is accurate and valid. But secondly, it's important for us to know who we can trust, who we can look at and say, no, they really are taking the word seriously. So I wanted to say a quick word about that. Good teachers of the Bible will honor the word of God. So let me explain what I mean by that. They're not gonna be bending it or twisting it. They're not gonna turn it into something that it's not. They're not gonna read you the text and then immediately go start telling you all this stuff that sounds nice, but it doesn't really relate to the text very much. Or it feels very disconnected, or it's just totally rooted in just what's happening now. There's no emphasis on what was going on in the context in the background of that time period. Okay? Proper teaching won't be a show or sensationalism there's a lot of this going on right now where the goal is to get people emotional and all amped up and hyped up so there's there's this whole emphasis on making it a big spectacle really making people come into a space and feel a certain way and want to come back to get that feeling again that's not what teaching the word rightly is about okay ultimately proper teaching of god's word won't be aimed at your feelings. It will be aimed at how you live. So that's one very easy way without going into all of these deep details of what it means to, for someone to teach well. Just look for that as the key marker. Is what somebody is telling you, is it aimed at making you feel a certain way? Or is it aimed at asking you to live your life differently? That's one key piece. Now there's other factors as well. But that's going to be one thing that you can really do to really mitigate a lot of this stuff because a lot of things out there are very easily noticed as just sensationalism, okay? So this stuff is super important. It's important for us as the church to grow in knowledge of the truth. So that's going to look like studying God's Word on our own, learning how to do that. It's going to look like listening to good, God-honoring Bible teachers Those are going to be two critical pieces. But that knowledge then should lead to something else. This is why Paul, in the very next piece, is going to lead into our third point. He said, uh, For the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness? Okay? Which accords with godliness? That's the critical piece here. Point three, knowledge of the truth should produce godly living. Again, this is not like a crazy thing. If you've been around the church, it's not like this is like something you've never heard before. But it's so important. It's so, so needed for us to understand that this is a natural and needed effect of proper teaching of the Word. If someone is not teaching you to live your life differently, more in accordance to this, then they're not really teaching you much of anything. They need to be teaching you what the word says so that your life can then produce something different so that you can live differently. That word accords with godliness or that phrase rather means that it goes along with or it's hand in hand with. So knowledge of the truth goes hand in hand with godliness. Those things are supposed to attach to one another. Being a part of the church is not just attendance and knowledge. That's just blind religiosity. All right? It's, it's more than that. It, acquire, it requires those things. It requires us to participate with the body and for us to grow in knowledge, but then it should go to another stage. And that other stage is godly living. Our knowledge should grow in us, and it should allow us to change and walk in obedience to Jesus. It should allow us to begin to look back over our life, over time, and say, wow, I am a very different person than I once was. The way I treat others, the way that I speak, the way that I view the world, the way that I understand God, those things have changed. Where I was years ago is not where I am now. If there is no change, and if the leaders that you have are not encouraging that, that is not a good leader, and that is not good for your life. That's how you wind up in chaos, confusion, and suffering. It's so important for us to understand we're supposed to walk this stuff out. We are meant to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, different than the rest of the world. This stuff is, is a big deal. Godly living will make you stick out as different from everybody else. And that is a good thing. There's this idea in our culture today that sticking out and looking different and people seeing you as odd or, or not like everyone else is a bad thing. And that we should just try to fit in. And by fitting in, we're going to show people that we really, we're cool and we like them and that they can be a Christian too. That is just, it's not true. We're supposed to be different. Your life is supposed to look different. That's okay. It's not bad. It's with purpose. You are supposed to live a life that is a beacon of righteousness for the rest of the world. Not self-righteousness where you're trying to show off or be better than everybody else, but a righteousness that points back to Christ. That's what it means. If we're not doing that, then we are not walking out a royal priesthood kind of life. We're not walking out what it's supposed to look like to be a chosen people set apart on the earth. This stuff is so important. The entire letter of Titus is going to continue to build on really these three things. The importance of the church, the weight of the church, the expectation of being a part of the church, it's going to build on the need to have knowledge and understanding of the word that's rooted in truth and it's going to continue to build on people living lives that are godly and obedient to Christ. It's just going to map these things out. When you boil it down like that, it's very simple. It's not a big deal, but it is a big deal because there is so many easy things for us to get caught up in, to get lost in, to be misled by that can really affect the health of the church and the direction of our lives. So if we don't take these fairly simple things seriously, we can very quickly find ourselves in the same exact space that the church in Crete found themselves. In disorder, chaos, confusion, suffering, all kinds of problems. And thats we don't want that as the church. We don't want that to be indicative of awaken. We want ours to be... Healthy followers of Christ. We want our church to be a healthy body that is ordered and and on the straight path, not crooked and skewed and messed up. Again, Paul is writing this, really, all of this stuff to Titus to encourage him to set straight what is crooked. And that's what the rest of this series is really going to be about. So as we close out today, really what I want you guys to do over the course of this week, because as we get into next subsequent weeks, um, it's going to be very clear uh, as we break things down, these points that were made will come to be deeper and and more uh, applicable to everyday life. But right now, over the course of this week, what I want you guys to do is to consider what is crooked in your own life right now. It's going to help you come into these future weeks prepared to be molded by the Lord and by His Spirit as the Word is taught, okay? So think about those things. Is it around the the church and being a chosen people? Is your view and your life crooked in that regard? You don't view being a part of the church as something that has expectation and weight? It's just something that is just a quick add to your life? Maybe that's something that is crooked. Or is it in the knowledge of the Word, in truth? Is that the area that things are crooked? You don't study, or you don't know how to study, and you haven't made that a priority. Maybe that's the area that you need to take more seriously. Or is it in that last area where you've got plenty of knowledge, you've been growing a lot over the many years that you've been a part of the church, but as you look back at your life, your life hasn't changed much. You're not doing much differently. Your heart hasn't shifted very much around what it looks like to love people or to be generous or to change something in your own life that's sinful. You've just been living okay with it. Is that the area that there's crookedness? And that needs to be addressed. Whatever it is, all of us are going to fall in there somewhere. I can promise you that. I know for myself, the weight of being a chosen people is one of the major spaces where I just, I don't think of the church that way all the time. And I can think of it as very just event-oriented And I have to move out and get my perspective on the church to be right. So I don't know what it is for you, but I'm just asking you, please take time over this week to consider what that area is. I'll be praying for us as a church. I already have been. that As we go through these next weeks, the Lord would stir us in those various areas.